invite you to open your Bibles to that passage of Scripture that we read earlier on. So it's Ezra, chapter 6, and from verse 13. So that's on page 478 of the Pew Bibles. That's Ezra, chapter 6, and verse 13. And as I said a moment ago, um, this is the last in our present series looking at the book of Ezra. Now, Mitt Romney, the former uh, presidential candidate, he sparked a row this year, didn't he, when he uh, visited this country when he came across here to Britain, because he called into question whether London would be ready to host the Olympic Games. And uh, as far as these things go, that would seem to be a, a fairly major diplomatic faux pas. But Mitt Romney was soon put in his place, and he was proved wrong, wasn't he? Because there didn't seem to be any... Major hiccups, did there, during the Olympics? Certainly not when it came to the infrastructure or the building work. There's nothing that seriously went wrong. You know, take the Olympic Stadium as an example. See, that, that was finished well in advance. The Olympic Stadium was completed in, in, by March of this year. And, if you believe the reports... It was completed well within, uh, within the budget. And when they finished that work, when they finished the work in the stadium, and when you know, the, the last nail had been hammered in, and the last seat had been put in its place, and the last white line had been, had been painted in the arena, the uh, organisers, they decided that what they would do is arrange a bit of a show. So, they got in touch with a former... Olympian, a former Olympic great, Frankie Fredericks. Have you heard of Frankie Fredericks? Well, I confess I had to look up Frankie Fredericks. But Frankie Fredericks apparently won four or five medals in the 1990s. So they got him and they got a whole bunch of school kids together. And they went into the stadium and these were the people who were going to lay the very last bit of turf in the arena. And I'm sure you can picture the scene and for the benefit of all the cameramen that were there and as this last bit of grass went down, there was this huge big scream, this huge big shout from the kids and from all the people who had gathered. Because the job was done, wasn't it? The stadium was built. It was completed. And there was an accompanying moment of euphoria and celebration. And really, that's what we've got here in front of us in Ezra chapter 6, don't we? Because here, the building work is at last complete. It's at last done. In the year 515 BC, 21 years after it started... And four and a half years after they started anew 
after that period of inactivity. It's now accomplished. The people have built the temple. And the completion of this work is accompanied um, by this dedication we read earlier on and this uh, reinstating of the Passover. So tonight, just for a short while, let's consider just a few points about the people here, about the community as they're involved in this period of celebration and euphoria. Okay, let's think about the people, the community. And let's note firstly that this was a maturing community. Okay? It was a maturing community. Because in the first section that we read there, that Paul read earlier on, in verse 14, we see a word jump out at us. And it's that word, prosper. See, the people here prospered. So what does that mean? What's in view here in the idea that they prospered? Well, it's not just about building work, okay? It's not just that the people prospered materialistically. It's not about materialistic success. It's about maturing and prospering spiritually. And we see the key to that. We see the key to their spiritual maturity in the way that that verse ends. Because it says that these people, they continued to build and they prospered. And what comes next? They prospered under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah. So you see, you've got a picture here of a maturing people, a people prospering and doing so under the word of God. Okay? But more than that, note that they, they matured spiritually because they continued in God's word. What does that mean? What does that mean? The fact that they continued in God's word. Well, I don't know. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you may recall that we looked at chapter 5 of Ezra. And in chapter 5, what happened was that Haggai... And Zechariah, they appeared and they prophesied, they brought God's word to the people and this sparked the people into action. Do you remember that? But it wasn't a case of after that, it wasn't a case of the people saying to the prophets, thanks guys, thanks very much for that message, that'll do for now. It wasn't a case of that at all, not a bit of it. You see, Haggai and Zechariah, they didn't provide a one-off message. You see, the prophets accompanied the people. They accompanied them. They continued with the people as the people worked and served the Lord. So did you get it? You're following this. The people have matured they have prospered because they've continued in the word of God. They've continued in the word of God. 
And um, folks, surely it's pretty easy for us to apply that to ourselves tonight, okay? Because just think about what time of year it is. It's getting to that time of year when we start thinking about New Year's resolutions. Are you a, a fan of New Year's resolutions? Well, I certainly am. And uh, they don't really normally amount to very much, do they? New Year's resolutions usually just mean that we'll give up chocolate for about three or four days in January, or that we might find, I don't know, a treadmill somewhere, and we'll maybe go on that once or twice. But we could do something as a, as a congregation here, something a bit different. We could do something as a congregation a bit more meaningful because we could prosper spiritually. We could resolve in the next year, in 2013, to continue in the Word. To continue in the Word. Now, we can do that at home. Okay? We can resolve to study Scripture those people that we live with. Now, we can study the Bible with our husband or with our wife. Now, do you do that? Do you study the Bible with your spouse? I I, uh, remember reading of a minister elsewhere, and he was talking about this very subject, and he said that he he never loves his wife as much as when he comes home and she is at the, the table, and she has her Bible in front of her, she has her commentaries out, she is studying Scripture, and he can sit down beside her, and they can discuss God's Word. They can open God's Word prayerfully together. See, if we do that, if we pray and study God's Word with our husband and our wife, with those people that we live with, with our children, with our parents, with our flatmates. Well, that can be a real life changer in 2013. We can continue in the work at home, but also we can resolve this year to continue in the word at church. Now, I know that it's not easy in a city like this, in a city like London, for some people to to come out to uh, church services twice on a Sunday. I, I know that that is not easy. And also, I know that there is no prescription in Scripture that says there must be a service at 11 o'clock and there must also be one at half past six. But surely, folks, surely it's a sign of spiritual health It's a sign of spiritual vitality if we want to come to church. If we want to meet with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and prayerfully wait to hear what God has to say to us through his word. Now, an author I read earlier this week, he said said this. He said, an avoidable absence from church is an infallible evidence 
of spiritual decay. An avoidable absence from church is an infallible evidence of spiritual decay. So folks, let's resolve, you know, 2013, in the next year, let's resolve to come to church and to do so regularly. Because let me tell you, okay, this year, we are going to be looking at some incredibly exciting things in God's Word. We are and powerful, life-changing, life-altering things can happen when the people of God get together and study His Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Exciting things, powerful things. So I urge you, be part of that. Be part of that in 2013. So the people of God, they were a maturing community. But they were also, second point, they were an increasing community. You got that? An increasing community. So folks, do you know what the secret is to a growing church? How do we get people through the doors? That is a question that is flung about churches all the time. What is the secret to church growth? Is it more technology? Do you think that would work? What about more music? What about more social events? Would that work? What about more carol singing out on the streets? Would that work? Would that draw people in? Well, Um, This week, I listened to a Christian comedian. And no, I didn't know that such a thing existed either. But it does. A Christian comedian. This guy was funny, but was uh, just a little bit flippant. But he talked about the idea of ridiculous, far-fetched ideas to attract people into church. And he suggested that we should give people what they want. So we should make church like a, 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 a reality TV show. So he suggested a format to church where we can uh, vote out a difficult member of the congregation each week. And uh, he also suggested that uh, we make church more like, uh, what is it, Britain's Got Talent where the congregationist they're coming in gets a bit of paper with a red X on it. And if the pastor says something they don't like, then the pastor can get voted out uh, very quickly too. And I'm, I am not advocating that for a second. But they, of course, the guy's joking. And the guy is, is all tongue-in-cheek. But there is a kind of underlying serious point to that because churches do do some pretty weird and wacky and crazy things to try and attract people into their churches but look at Ezra chapter 6 look at it this is a community that was growing this was an increasing community because Just look at verse 21. Verse 21 is the key here. Verse 21. 
Do you see it? It says, So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it, that is the, the, the Passover lamb, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors. Okay? Now, do you remember back in chapter 4? Do you remember what happened in chapter 4? Well, the people of God, they're building the temple, and they were offered help by the Assyrians. Do you remember that? But the people of God, they turned that help, that offer of help, they turned it down flat. They didn't want any help with that at all. And you see, if we misunderstood that episode, then we might come away with the idea that this community was closed, that this was an exclusive community, that they separated themselves along nationalistic or ethnic lines. But we've just read verse 21. And that shows that that wasn't the case at all, because this is a community that grows. This is a community that welcomes people into it. And it grew by accepting some of the Jews who had remained in the land, who hadn't gone into exile, and it accepted some Gentiles, some Gentiles who lived in the surrounding areas. But why? Why did these people want to come into the community? What was it, thinking about church growth, so what was it that attracted these people into this community? Well, just look at it and consider it. Think about the passion, the passion that this community had for their God. Because look at the scene of worship we've got here. They are passionately, zealously worshipping God. They are sacrificing animals. They are praising God with their whole hearts. There is zeal for God. And that zeal is attractive to people. And then there's purity, isn't there? There is purity here. Because verse 1, verse 21 rather, it has an emphasis on separation. Separation from unclean practices. You see, for people to come in, for people to be part of this community in Ezra chapter 6, they had to pursue purity. They had to pursue purity. And then there's also the attractiveness of just how single-minded the people of God were. Because verse 21 says that, It says that the purpose of everything, it says that the purpose of absolutely everything that these people were doing, it says it was in order to seek the Lord. And you see, that purity, that passion, and that single-mindedness, it was attractive. It was alluring. It was compelling to these people 
who lived around the community, and therefore that community grew. So it doesn't take a genius to apply this, does it, to our situation? It doesn't take a genius to apply this to LCPC, because let me tell you, the LCPC needs to grow numerically. It needs to grow numerically. Because if we are to continue this, if we are to continue having a congregation here, if we are to continue having this witness in the centre of London, we are going to have to pray to God that he grows this community. Because we're stretched. We are stretched from a helper's and volunteer's point of view. We are stretched from a, a financial point of view. We are facing great pressures on us. So we must get on our knees and we must pray to God that he grows this community. We thought about New Year's resolutions a minute ago, didn't we? So let's do the same for this. You see, in 2013, just like the people of God, we need to ensure that we are passionate, that we are passionate Christians, that we have a zeal for Jesus Christ, that he is our supreme concern this year. We also have to, in 2013, pursue purity. Friend, this year, pursue purity in what you watch and in what you do and in what you say and in what you read. And we also have to be single-minded in this congregation. In 2013, this has to be a place of love and it has to be a place of unity. There can't be bickering, okay? There can't be backbiting. We have to, what does verse 21 say? We have to be entirely concerned that everything we do is in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. And friends, if people see, if they see a community of zeal and faith, and if God blesses that, The next year, 2013, ours too, will be an increasing community. An increasing community. Now friends, for some inexplicable reason that I cannot really get my head around at all, I was on the Joy of Christmas Facebook page this past week and for a man like me that was an eye-opening experience the joy of christmas facebook page because this is where people who are clearly clearly kind of obsessed with christmas this is where they put up their pictures of christmas trees and their pictures of christmas puddings and innumerable countless pictures of cats with Santa hats on. You know, they'll upload these things and upload a a clip of their favourite TV Christmas show or their favourite carol, that sort of thing. The Joy of Christmas Facebook page. 
But truth be told, this is a time of year when people do talk about joy. This is a time of year where people sing, just as we did this morning. We sing about joy. And, crucially, it's a time of year where people search for joy. They search for joy. And let's close tonight in just in a few words thinking about a third thing, and that is that here this was a jubilant community. In Ezra 6, in our closing portion of Scripture here, this was a jubilant community. Because this was a people who actually experienced joy. They experienced true and profound and deep-rooted, intense joy. Because look at it. Look at that passage of Scripture. Joy is all over the shop here. It's all over the place. Verse 16. What do we read about? Verse 16, the people celebrated with joy. Verse 22, guess what? More joy. And again, toward the end of verse 22, it's joy. This is a, a, it's a remarkable picture of a, a people celebrating, a jubilant, rejoicing people. And crucially, friends, we see where that joy came from in this portion of Scripture. We see the source of real joy. And we see that in verse 22. Because it says there that the Lord filled them with joy. The Lord filled them with joy. And if you get your head around that, and if I get my head around that, if we get to grips with that, then that can really change our lives and our attitudes. Because joy, Christian joy, it's not coming to church with a a smile on our face. Christian joy isn't just when we can sing the psalms at the, the top of our voices. That's not what it is. Christian joy, real joy, it is utterly dependent on our relationship with God, on our walk with God. Because what is joy? It is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is from the Spirit. It is from God. Joy is the certain consequence of a healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's a certain consequence of a healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father. So let me ask you again... What are you searching for this Christmas? Are you uh, searching for joy? Is that you? Well, if it is, then know this, that real joy only comes from God and through Christ. You see, friends, what were the people celebrating here? Why were the people so full of joy? It was because the temple was finished, wasn't it? So why? Why is that such a big deal? Why was it so important to them to see this temple finished? Well, it's because that, the temple, it was a symbol of God dwelling with his people. 
And today, on the other side of the cross, you know, on the other side of Calvary, all that the temple stood for, all these sacrifices that we've read about, all these priestly actions, all of it, it is entirely fulfilled in Jesus Christ, in the person and the work of Christ. And he is not just our temple. He is greater than any earthly temple. So this euphoric picture in Ezra chapter 6, it was of a community experiencing joy because the work was completed. The work was completed. And friends, this whole episode, it points forward. It points forward to a time in the future, a time when we will be mature and we will be prosperous, a time when we will be complete, a time of unadulterated joy in the holy city the new Jerusalem. And friends, that is surely only a place and only a time that is possible because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. So place your trust in him. And as we move into a new year, as LCPC moves into 2013, Let's do so, seeking to make him, seeking to make Jesus the passion of our lives. Why? Why should we do that? Because one greater than the temple is here. Let's pray.